So Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad. So we have been reading from Minhaj al-Abidin of Imam Abu Hamad al-Ghazali. And we are talking now about the third set of obstacles to a life of faith and devotion. And what he talks about are the awa'iq. And we talked about last week how the word awa'iq is the plural, wa alaykum salam bushra, of a'iq. And a'iq is something that stops you and I from starting something. So these are the things that are going to kind of, and these are not the only things, these are just four that he identifies, keeping us from a life of faith and devotion from the beginning. So when someone like decides to set out um, and like live a certain way, uh, and here specifically dedicated to faith, as Allah says, right? Whoever wills should try his or her best to take away take the way to Allah. We know that Islam finds this balance between the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the choice that Allah has given us to make effort. That's why in the Quran, oftentimes we find words like seeking guidance to form in Arabic is a form that implies me trying. Who seeks guidance. Even in Surah Al-Fatiha, we learn this. The form is, you alone we worship and you alone we seek guidance from. We seek guidance from. So the, the marriage between the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the absolute knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we'll talk about inkishaf in the future, how Allah's knowledge uh, in relationship to our utility is very interesting. And then our having the gumption or the will to work hard. So correct Islamic faith does not allow me to believe I'm completely independent and autonomous and free of God. And at the same time, I'm not able to use God's transcendence as an excuse not to try hard. It, it settles in this balance. So Abu Hamid now is talking about at that moment where someone decides, you know what, I want to live a faithful life. That moment that they plan to embark or, or depart from that port, if you will, they're going to find these obstacles in front of them. So these are the obstacles that we're going to run into in the beginning. And the first is dunya. And we talked about the dangers of the temporary world. I remember, you know, when I was interested in accepting Islam, one of the first kind of concerns I had was, how am I going to survive financially? And that takes us now to the second obstacle. And this is another challenge that I faced becoming Muslim when I was very young, alhamdulillah. And that was, I'm going to like lose friends. So one is like monetary benefit. The other is social utility. And we can see why it's important that we have a strong ummah so we can support one another, as we'll talk about today. So the Shaykh, he says, Rahimahullah, Naf'anallahu ta'ala bi'ilmihi fi darini ameen. He says, Al-a'iqu athani, al-khalq. He says, the second obstacle that's going to impact a person at the beginning of them, he or her trying to live a life of faith and devotion, is al-khalq, people. So he says, Then he 
says, therefore, and what I like about this text is that Imam Abu Hamad had lived long enough where he is not only able to talk about the problem, but his age and his wisdom have allowed him to identify solutions. That's very important in da'wah. If we want to tell someone something is haram, we should have, alhamdulillah, an outlet for them. That's why some of the scholars of usul al-fiqh, they said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not forbid anything except shirk. Even shirk actually, except he's given a way to do something which is right. So shirk, the opposite is tawheed. Fornication, the opposite is marriage. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not forbidden anything explicitly except there is a way out. The opposite, subhanAllah. So Abu Hamid, mashallah, this being the last text he ever wrote in his life, around 52 years old, 50 years old, is writing this text and now he's of an age where he can not only identify problems, but he can also identify the solutions. So he says, as for the second challenge, people, the next thing that you should think about in your attempts to live a life of faith and devotion and the challenge of people is you should adopt isolation. And we know that there are two words used in Sharia to describe this. Al-Uzla, which is mentioned by the Prophet and Al-Khilwa. Al-Uzla and Al-Khilwa. And there is a subtle difference between the two. Just like we talked about before with Al-Tajarrud uh, Wa-Zuhd. Um, how those have two kind of meanings, one is the inner and the outer. We find that these two words in the attempts to protect ourselves from being, if you will, overexposed to people, as we're going to talk about the dangers of that, inshallah, in a second, that these two words, mashallah, they have uh, some subtle differences. So the first one is al-uzlah. Uh, is going to deal with, how can I explain this? Dealing with the physical things. So I physically isolate myself. And now, subhanAllah, we're all living a time of social isolation. This is kind of like a form of uzla. The second word, al-khilwa, and al-khilwa means what do I isolate myself from when I'm socially isolated? Allahu Akbar. What does that mean? Al-uzla, Say I pull away from some negative friends or negative influences. This is uzla. But then how do I spend that time when I am alone from those bad influences? This is khilwa. Khilwa ma'allah. So the first is the physical discipline. The second is then like once I'm like now, I'm alone. You're alone. Some of us are alone. How do I use this time? Do I use it for Allah? It's possible that someone can be isolated from others and doing evil. So al-uzla is isolation. Al-khilwa is what my heart isolates itself from. 
So that's why Imam Ibn al-Iskandri, he says in Al-Hikam, مَا نَفَعَ الْقَلْبَ شَيْءٌ مِثْلُ عُزْلَةٌ يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا مَيْدَانَ الْفِكْرَةِ Actually, مِثْلَ عُزْلَةٍ, excuse me. Imam Ibn al-Ta'ala said there's nothing more beneficial to the heart than the uzla, isolating from negative influences and things that come between us and Allah. يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا مَيْدَانُ الْفِكْرَةِ where a person is able to use that isolation to be introspective. And that's talking about al-khilwa. So he brought both together. The scholars, and before we talk about this, I need to state something that I've had to say uh, a few times because I think it's very important and hopefully it's beneficial. And that is any of these kind of terms like isolation, khilwa, uzla. These are abstract terms, and these abstractions should not be interpreted by our hawa. So maybe someone thinks, oh, this means I have to, you know, not deal with anybody. I'm just going to pull away from life. I'm not going to engage anyone. Khalas. That's one extreme. The other extreme would be, this is ridiculous. What does this mean? I'm going to, you know, this is the age of exhibition. People actually are buying likes and buying attention. Man, this guy's tripping. I'm just going to go full throttle with people. Both of those are hawa. What's the difference between hawa and huda? Hawa is desires. Huda is guidance. That I take any of these abstract concepts and I present them to fiqh. Because fiqh is the science which parses abstractions. So if we look at fiqh very carefully, we see are there are times that being together is fard. Like Salatul Jumu'ah. There are times that being together is an individual fard. Like an individual obligation. Like the Friday prayers. There are also times where things are group obligations. Like praying janazah on somebody. We see that there are times when things are an individual sunnah. Like praying the furaqah before dhuhr. Before the afternoon prayer. And we find that there are times... When things are a group sunnah, like making sure someone makes the adhan, if possible. We find that there are times when things individually are makru, and in a group there are makru. We find that there are times when there are things which are individually haram, and also in a group, they could be considered haram, and permissible, and so on and so forth. So for every action, there's a ruling. Now we see the importance of, of fiqh that fiqh is able to take any abstract terminology that we may read or come across and help balance us. The, 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 that's why Imam al-Shatibi, he says the job of the mufti is like a, a, a physician who doesn't over or under medicate. And that's why sometimes we find ourselves confused because we come across terms and we have to in, inject our own interpretation. But that's the job of the faqih. That, that's why the word fiqh means to understand, to understand the marriage of reality, the situation that we're dealing with, with the rulings. So that's why if you look, for example, you're going to find the scholars differ over what's better. Is it better to be isolated or to better to deal with the people? Most, as Imam al nawi he mentions most of the Shafi'i madhab, they say tafdil al khilta that is better to mix with people. Bima fiha min iktisab al fawaid because it brings about 
so many benefits to your life. Then you find the other scholars, they say, no, it's better to isolate. Is one opinion right or wrong? No. Each opinion is given according to the situation. According to the situation. And this is an example of what we call تَغِيرُ fatwa بِالزَّمَانِ وَالْمَكَانِ وَالْأَحْوَالِ That sometimes the application or the fatwa of the application of a text can change according to people's situations. So sometimes when you read texts like this, you may get confused. And you may find yourself, well, my context is not the same as Imam Abu Hamid's. Okay, no problem. There's a ruling for that context. So the Shaykh, he says, ثُمَّ عَلَيْكَ وَفَّقَقَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَإِيَّانَا لِطَاعَتِي May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and you to Allah's obedience that you should think about بِتَفَوْرُدِ عَنِ الْخَلْقِ Isolation from people. We said there's two types of isolation. Number one is that I physically isolate. And then how do I spend that time in that moment of isolation? Somebody could wake up before Fajr and they could pray or they could be on their phone. Which one is the best, the best usage of their time before Fajr prayer is to pray. Unless, of course, there's an emergency and he or she has to use their phone. Here you see the kind of the, the leeway here. Then the Imam says, and in this, he says, this idea of isolation is due to two reasons. He said, the first is that when you're around too many people, they occupy you and keep you away from worship. And he said, this is based on a narration from some of the ulama. That one, one righteous person said, That one of the early righteous people said, I, I passed by a group of people who were, you know, shooting arrows. And one of them was sitting far away from the group by himself. فَأَرَدْتُ أَنْ أُكَلِّمُهُ So I, I wanted to speak to this person. فَقَالَ ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَشْهَى إِلَيَّ مِنْ كَلَامِكَ And he says, as I begin to try to talk to this person, he responded to me and said that the remembrance of Allah is more beloved to me than talking to you. Then that person said, فَقُلْتَ أَنْتَ وَحْدَكَ But you're like by yourself. The guy that wanted to talk to that person that was sitting, when that sitting person said to him, Dhikrullahi ahabba ilayya min kalamik. Yani, I, I, I love to sit and remember Allah more than I want to talk to you. But we have to understand something. That that speech, because maybe now, you know, <laughs> some married couples will be like, yeah, my, my husband wanted to talk to me. I said, Dhikrullah ahabbu ilayya min kalamik. <laughs> or maybe our kids that are listening, we go to talk to them, we need to tell them to do their homework. That's not the point here. The point is that the person wanted just to talk to that person for no real reason. It was just like, let's just talk. So in that moment, you have mubah, which is to talk, and you have mandub, which is to remember Allah. You have what's permissible, and you have what's recommended, so that person chose what's remembered. Now, if there was an emergency or if there was a reason to talk, of course, 
he would have preferred to talk to that person. That's why subhanAllah, we know that it's disliked to talk after Isha if it causes us to miss Fajr. But we find an exception in fiqh unless it's between a husband and wife or a family. Because mashallah, that, that talking, alhamdulillah, which is hopefully like normal, wonderful, warm conversation, is going to increase love and connection amongst the family. Mashallah, mashallah. But here, this is like just kind of just frivolous talk. So the person says, ذِكْرُ أَشْهَى إِلَيَّ مِنْ إِلَيَّ مِنْ فَقُلْتُ أَنْتَ وَحْدَكَ And I said to him, but you're by yourself. MashaAllah, listen to his response. That person that was remembering Allah said, فَقَالَ مَعِي رَبِّي وَمَلَكَيْ He said, Allah, my Lord is with me, my Creator is with me, and the two angels are with me. Then the person that wanted to talk to this person who was remembering Allah, he said, فَقُلْتُ مَنْ سَبَقَ مِنْ هَؤُلَى then I said to him, about those people that are, you know, competing and shooting arrows, which one of them is the victor? He said, Man And he said to him, the one who Allah has forgiven. MashaAllah. Then I asked him, where is the path to salvation in all this? Like, if this is what you're saying, like, man, what am I supposed to do? And then that person that he was talking to, he pointed to the heavens. Not because Allah has a physical direction. What he meant is dua. To make dua. And then he stood up, that person that was engaged in dhikr, and he left me. And he said, You know that the more people you have around you, the more they keep you away from Allah. What he meant is you, you just want to come and talk to me about what? Right? So if I, if I wasn't here, you wouldn't be bothering me more or less. In other words, limit the people around you because they will keep you away from Allah. And people get sensitive, man. When you start to talk like this, people get real sensitive. But if you, if you invert it and you say, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, you don't have to be so busy in thicker. You don't have to be so busy in dua. Make sure you have 20,000 followers on Instagram. Make sure that every day you post. People nowadays, their value has been exported and what they post online to people they don't even know. Whereas their, their close relatives, the people that are in their circle of influence, maybe they have serious problems with them. So Imam Abu Hamad says, فَالْخَلْقُ إِذًا يَشْغُلُونَكَ عَنِ الْعِبَادَةِ بَلْ يَمْنَعُونَكَ مِنْهَا بَلْ يُقِعُونَكَ فِي شَرْوَ الْهَلَاكِ عَلَى مَا قَعَ He says, بَلْ يُقِنُونَكَ فِي شَرِّ وَالْهَلَاكِ And he says, Rahimahullah, Therefore, from this lesson we can take that being around a lot of people, unnecessarily, unnecessarily, not our relatives, not people that we're responsible for, not our circle of influence, secondary stuff, can take you away from ibadah. In fact, it may even keep you from worship. Now, and in fact, they may cause you and I to fall into destruction or evil. And honestly, this can be, this can fall into families too. 
Because what, what, what is the issue here is not the hal, but the hukum. The issue here is not, not necessarily the situation, although the more people around, it's probable that we're going to fall into some, some nonsense. But sometimes even our own families, man, people closest to us may cause trouble. As Malcolm X used to say, in-laws are outlaws, man. So what, what then comes into play is the ruling. Are we doing something permissible? Then that's okay. Are we doing something recommended? That's okay. Are we doing something haram? That's not good. No matter who it is. No matter the situation. That's why we find in the Quran, Allah says, إِنَّمَا أَزْوَاجُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةً Talking to the Sahaba, said, your spouses and your kids can be a trial for you because those Sahabi who failed to migrate to Medina because of their spouses and their children, this verse came to tell them, like, sometimes, man, your family can be a problem. Sometimes your family can be a problem. We see in Surah Yusuf, Don't tell your brothers about this dream. Because they will plot evil against you. So the issue here, of course, the more people we're around, it can create a lot of problems, no doubt. But the smart person is the one who understands that the ruling, what am I doing with the people I'm with, is also important. So the first is what we talked about, al-uzla. How do I separate and parse relationships so that I'm being careful and then we'll talk about it on Al-Khilwa. When I'm alone, how do I spend my time? How do I spend my time? Then he says, you know, he mentions a story of one of the great, great early scholars, Hatim Al-Asam, Rahimahullah, who says, Talabtu min hadha al-khalqi bi khamsata ashya'a falam ajidha. Hatim, he said, I ask, you know, the people around me for five things. And it didn't happen. I encouraged them to be obedient to Allah and to be indifferent. What we talked about last week, zuhid from the dunya. And they didn't do it. Then I said to them, okay, if you can't do it, at least help me do it. And they couldn't help him do it. فَقُلْتُ And then he said, I said to them, أُرْضُ عَنِّي إِنْ فَعَلْتُ فَلَمْ يَفْعَلُوا Then I said, okay, if you're not going to do it with me, and if you're not going to help me do it, at least be pleased with how I'm living my life. That I am focusing on devotion and focusing on disciplining myself in the face of an opulent world, and they were not pleased with me. فَقُلْتُ لَهُمْ لَا تَمْنَعُونِي عَنْهُمَا then he said, I asked him, don't stop me from doing this. And they tried to stop me from doing it. And finally, I said to them, do not call me then to evil anything that will displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and will make Allah, you know, myself and my relationship with Allah have a sense of inanity, and they refused. So he asked them these five things. So he said, then I left these people, these people, not all people, but this, these people in general, 
and I focused on myself. Then Abu Hamri says, وَعْلَمْ أَيُّهَا الْأَخِ فِي الدِّينِ أَنَّ نَبِيَّكَ مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ وَصَفَ زَمَانَ الْعُزْلَةَ وَبَيَّنَ نَعْتَهُ وَنَعْتَ أَهْلِهِ وَأَمَرَ فِيهِ بِتَفَرُّدِ وَكَانَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ لَا مَحَالَ أَعْلَمْ بِالصَّالِحِ وَأَنْصَحَ لَنَا مِنَّا لِأَنفُسِنَا He says, then you should know, dear brother and sister in Islam, that your Prophet Muhammad he talked about those ages in which we need to observe responsible isolation. And notice I used the word responsible isolation as we'll talk about next week, inshallah. And he described this time. And he described the people of that time. And when that moment happens, he commanded us to observe responsible isolation. And the Prophet ﷺ, without a shadow of a doubt, knows better and knows what's best for ourselves than we know for ourselves. ﷺ, as we said uh, two weeks ago in our, our Wednesday class, Islam for Muslims, Right, Sheikh Ahmed Al Marzuki says, Whatever the Prophet has brought to us, the right upon us is that we submit and accept it from the Prophet. So Imam Abu Hamid is alluding to numerous ahadith of the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we're going to talk about a few of them now, where he describes what are the symptoms of the age where we should observe responsible isolation. فَإِنْ وَجَدْتَ زَمَانَكَ عَلَى مَا وَصَفَ وَبَيَّنْ فَمْتَثِلْ أَمْرَهُ Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَأَقْبَلْ نَصِيحَتَهُ He said, therefore, if you find yourself in those times that the Prophet described, then emulate his commands and accept his advice. As we mentioned earlier, the line of Sheikh Ahmed Marzuki, In this class, we teach at Swiss, the Masses Creed, the second level in theology after Essentials of Islamic Faith. This is a poem that I'm reading now. That whatever the Prophet has brought, the right upon us, the right upon the Prophet in relationship to us being his followers is to submit and to accept. So that's why Sayyiduna Abu Hamid says, If you find the era that you're in, you find some relationship, it may not be complete, it may be particular, it may be certain aspects. In other aspects, it's not there because we don't want to fall into becoming Debbie Downers. It's very easy to describe everything is bad and evil so we can askew ourselves of responsibility. We have to be very careful that we find the good possibilities and the negative threats of any time and any place. So he says, فَإِنْ وَجَدْتَ زَمَانَكَ عَلَى مَا وَصَفَ وَبَيَّنْ فَمْتَثِلْ أَمْرَهُ if you find your time in accordance for those times that the Prophet ﷺ encouraged us 
to isolate in a responsible way, then emulate his command and accept his advice. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa la tashukka fi annahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kan a'raf bima yasluhu laka fi zamanik. And do not doubt for one second that the Prophet was not the most knowledgeable of what is best for your time and your situation. And don't become weak due to any of the false things around you. Like don't allow the falsehood that is around you to weaken you in the face of the Prophet's advice. And don't deceive yourself. Because if you allow that and I allow that to happen, If I or you do this, I'm talking to myself, then we will find ourselves falling into destruction and we will have no excuse. And it's very interesting that Sayyiduna Imam Abu Hamad says that we'll have no excuse. And the reason is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dispatched the best human being to teach us. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-Qur'an hujjatun lak aw alayk. That the Qur'an is either going to be a witness for us or against us. And we can also say, An-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hujjatun lana aw alayna. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is either going to be a witness for us or against us. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's what we find in the fourth chapter of the Quran when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam commanded Sayyiduna Ubay ibn Ka'b to recite the Quran to him. And Ubay ibn Ka'b he read Surah Nisa until he reached the verse after Awadhu Billahi Min Shaitan Rajim. Fakaifa Iza Jitna min kulli ummatim bi shahidin wa jitna bika alaha ula ishahida. How will it be, O Muhammad Alayhi Salatu Salam? When we bring a witness against every nation and we bring you as a witness against your ummah. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, Hasbuk, Hasbuk, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough. And Sayyidina Ubay said, tadrifan. He was weeping, thinking about being a witness against his ummah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So we have no excuse. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says about the Prophets, that Allah dispatched the messengers so those people who their messages reach will have no excuse. We will not punish the people until messengers came to them because the messengers were so competent and so excellent in delivering their message that no one has an excuse. That's why Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala he says very beautifully, لَقَدَ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That in the Prophet is the best example to emulate. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So being a follower of Muhammad alayhi salatu salam is an honor and with an honor comes responsibility. It's very serious business. So then the Shaykh, he says, in light of that, we have to take what the Prophet described as being difficult times very seriously. And so he says, Rahimahullah, wal wasfu alladhi dhakarnahu minha ma huwa fil khabri al mashhur. And those descriptions of those ages where we have to consider uh, responsible isolation are found in very well known narrations attributed to the Prophet 
sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he begins to mention them. He says, and I want you to listen to this and kind of think deeply. And Abdullah ibn Umar, Amr ibn As, عفوا, and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, radiyallahu anhuma, annahu qal, Amr ibn As, uh, Abdullah, the son of Amr ibn As, radiyallahu anhuma, he said that the Prophet, sallallahu, that, 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 that he said, qal, Baynama, one day or at one time, Nahnu hawla nabiyyi, sallallahu, one day we were around the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi And someone began to talk about the test and the trials. And the Prophet said, Iza ra'aytumun nas, marajat uhuduhum, wa jaffat amanatuhum, wa kanu hakada, wa shabbaka bayna asabi'ah. قلت ما أصنع عند ذلك جعلني الله فداءك قال إلزم بيتك وأملك عليك لسانك وأملك عليك لسانك وخذ ما تعرف ودع ما تنكر وعليك بأمر الخاص ودع عنك أمر العامة. So this hadith actually is very important. That somebody began to talk about the trials and the difficulties that the Muslim Ummah would encounter. And the Prophet ﷺ began to describe them. He said, first of all, if you see people who easily break their oaths and fail to uphold their trust, and that you find the people fighting each other, and the Prophet went like this with his hands. So everybody's like just going at it. Then Amr ibn As, his son said, ما أصنعوا عند ذلك what should we do at that time? Ja'arani Allahu fidak. May Allah accept me as a sacrifice for you. And this, of course, is like adab with the Prophet. The Prophet said, Ilzam baytak, stay in your homes. Wa amlik alayka lisanak, and guard your tongue. Wa khud ma ta'rifu, and take what you know. Wa da'ma tunkiru, and leave what you don't know. And of course, he's talking to the Sahaba. What you know of good, what you know that we were upon at this time, take it. And things which you don't know, things that appear to be evil, stay away from it. وَعَلَيْكَ بِأَمْرِ الْخَاصَةِ And focus on yourself. وَدَعَنْكَ أَمْرَ الْعَامَّةِ And stay away from the masses. Subhanallah. وَذَكَرَ فِي خَبْرٍ آخَرَ أَنَّهُ عَلَيْهِ سَلَاتُ السَّلَامُ قَالَ ذَلِكَ أَيَّامَ الْحَرَجِ He says, and it's mentioned in another narration attributed to the Prophet that these times are called the times of haraj. وَقِيلَ مَا أَيَّمُ الْحَرَجِ And people ask him, what are these, these, haraj means difficulty. What are these difficult days? قَالَ حِينَ لَا يَأْمَنُ الرَّجُلُ جَلِيسَةِ When someone, they, they cannot guarantee, like when you sit with somebody and you talk with them, you have like a trusted conversation, that's gone. وَذَكَرَ بْنَ مَسْعُودٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فِي خَبْرٍ آخَرٍ لِلْحَارِثِ إِبْنِ عَمِيرَةِ And another narration from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ and also from Al-Harith ibn Amira, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, in an amrika What does that mean? In an umrik, if you live to see a long time, talking to one of the Sahaba, that you're gonna see a time when a lot of people talk, but very few people have knowledge. كَثِيرٌ سُؤَالُهُ Where you find a lot of people in need, they're asking. قَالِيلٌ مُعْطُوهُ And very few people are giving and generous. 
Al-hawafihi qa'idul ilm. And desires will be the driver or the guide of knowledge. Qala, wa matadhaq? And somebody asked the Prophet Ali sallallahu when will that happen? He said, When prayers are dead. That could have two meanings. One is, nobody is observing prayer anymore. So it is there as though a salah has died. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Or number two, people pray, but there's no khushur. There's no life in the salah. It's just an empty vessel. There's no ikhlas in it. As Imam Ibn al-Ta'ala says, Al-A'malu suratun qa'imu. Qa'ima. He said, excuse me, that, you know, prayers are like empty vessels. وَأَرْوَاحُهَا وُجُودُ إِخْلَاصِ فِيهَا And the life of any action is the presence of sincerity inside it. So it could mean that people have left the salah. As though it's forgotten. أعوذ بالله فخلف من بعدهم خلف أضاعوا الصلوات واتبعوا الشهوات It's mentioned in Surah Maryam that after some prophets there came generations who left the prayers and followed their desires. That could be one meaning. The second meaning could be that there's a lack of ikhlas and reverence in the act of worship. We know the narration of the Prophet ﷺ that the first thing taken from the ummah is reverence in salah, khushu' in salah. So either umi salah could mean a salah matruka, people left it, or it could mean people observe prayers, but there's no sincerity, there's no reverence in salah. Both of them are acceptable. And uh, cheating will become acceptable. Like it becomes the norm. And that people will sell their religion. And we see this now what happened with care. And may Allah protect care. Right? Over the last few weeks, people working inside, selling secrets, to people who are working for the Israeli government. Today, another announcement came out that somebody was paid $3,000 a month to sit in these gatherings. And I believe it's illegal to spy on a US citizen for a foreign government, but we'll see what happens. That they were paid $3,000 a month to record and share information about care and about the American Muslim community. That person has sold his or her religion for, for the dunya. And that people will sell out their deen for a paltry price. And according to this narration, the Prophet that the Prophet said, like, seek salvation, seek salvation, seek salvation. How? By observing the obligations of Islam and our social obligations to others. Alhamdulillah. And then he says, وَأَهْلِي <laughs> and then he, Abu Hamad says, all those narrations that I just mentioned, you see them now in his time. Imam al-Ghazali lives in the early part of the 6th century after Hijri and the late part of the 5th century after. What would he say about today? So he says, فَانْظُرْ لِنَفْسِكْ So examine yourself. 
Then he says, most of the Salaf, they were people So he makes a statement that we need to uh, clarify. He says, then the Salaf al-Salih agreed upon their time that it was a time which some, some people should be careful of as well as the people of that time should be careful of and they preferred isolation, commanded it and cooperated towards it. But this is not actually 100% correct. We find sometimes like people like Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he encouraged people to mix with others. This is commentary on the second or third verse of Surah Al-Hujurat. Then we find other times where some of the Sahaba and some of the early Muslims encouraged isolation. Again, isolation in a way does not impact their responsibilities and their individual, family, and social obligations. Remember that. Remember that. لا رهبانية في الإسلام ولا شك أنهم كانوا أبصر وأنصحة that these people were, had more insight and more sincere than us. And then he says, and it's, 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 there's no doubt that every age after their age was worse and worse and worse and worse. However, there is a lot of discussion among scholars that this is not necessarily the case. We have the hadith of Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu that's related by Bukhari that some people use, which actually they use it sort of incorrectly. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him that every succeeding generation of yours will be worse. Yours. Yours. Most ulama, even Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said yours means the Sahaba because every day that every second, every minute away from the, the time they spent with the Prophet from the time the Prophet died, was worse. Each moment away from being in the presence of the Prophet for the one who used to be in his presence is worse. So most of the scholars of fiqh and most of the scholars of the science of hadith, they said that this hadith of Anas ibn Malik is not talking about the entire ummah, but for the Sahaba only radiallahu anhum. Because after the time of the Sahaba, there were some great things that happened, like the Khilafat of Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, radiallahu anhu. Also, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the hadith of Imam ibn Majah, I believe, who says that there will come a time where the Muslim Ummah experiences good, like the time of the Khulafa. This hasn't happened yet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he talked about the return of Sayyidina Isa, alayhi salatu salam, 13 ahadith that talk about the return of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salatu salam. These hadith are strong, alhamdulillah, fi tawatur. Avoid, you know, these differences you find online amongst people. Stick with the mainstream opinions of Islam. And at that time, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salatu salam will return. There will be no disbelief for a short period. So there are actually good times that will come. So the hadith of Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik and the statement of Sayyidina Imam Abu Hamid radiallahu anhu need to be explained through the lens of interpretation, usul, and fiqh. لم يسر بعدهم خيرا مما كان بل هو أشر منه وأمر 
وهذا ما ذكر عن يوسف ابن أسباط أنه قال سمعت ثورية يقول والله الذي لا إله إلا هو لقد حلت العزلة في هذا الزمن And to substantiate his opinion, which we just kind of nuanced, he said that Yusuf ibn Asbat, as we finish, quotes Sufyan al-Tawri, who's one of the great scholars, and Sufyan al-Tawri actually had his own madhab. The Sayyidina Sufyan al-Tawri, radiyallahu anhu, said, By Allah, this time that I am living in is a time where uzla, complete isolation, or, excuse me, responsible isolation, has become permissible. But we should stop and ask ourselves, when did Sufyan al-Thawri live and what kind of life did he face? Sufyan al-Thawri, radiallahu anhu, is one of the great, great scholars of Islam. But he was wanted by the government and he spent most of his life on the run. That's why we don't have his madhab anymore. He wasn't able to sit like Sayyidina Imam Malik was able to do in Medina or Sayyidina Shafi was able to do in Egypt, like Sayyidina Abu Hanifa was able to do in Iraq, like Sayyidina Imam Abu uh, 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 Ahmed ibn Hanbal was able to do in, uh, in uh, 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 Iraq. So Sayyidina Imam Sufyan al-Thawri lived in a time where he had to observe isolation to save his own skin. To save his own skin. So again, the idea of the application of these ideas and thoughts has to be based on situations. As we finish, inshallah, we can take now any questions because there's more to this discussion, right? Imam Al-Ghazali, as we continue to go through it, he's going to layer it more and more and more. So nobody should suddenly walk away from this and be like, I'm done with the world, right? That, that's, that's not what we're trying to get at here. As we build it, you'll see that it's much more layered. Someone is asking, what is the difference between Al-Khilwa and I'tikaf? I'tikaf actually is a form of Uzla, which is temporary. And that's why Imam Ibn Ta'Allah in the Hikam, he says something really beautiful if you look at his language. And I explained this actually at, on Swiss too, on the Hikam, the course on, on the Hikam that I teach there. And sorry for the shameless uh, plug, but mashallah, we always need people to enroll at Swiss. But Imam Ibn Ta'Allah says, Ma al-qalbu shay'un mithla uzla. He doesn't say al-uzla. What that means is nothing is more beneficial to the heart than interval, mom interval moments of isolation. If he said al-uzla, that means I'm going to isolate from everybody for the rest of my life. But uzlatun with tanween, the indefinite article, implies interval moments of isolation. And one of those interval moments of isolation, like praying at night, alhamdulillah, fasting, I'm internally isolated, or i'tikaf. So i'tikaf is both. I go because the i'tikaf can only happen in the masjid. So I go to the mosque. I make the intention for i'tikaf right before Maghrib. And I stay till Fajr the next day. That's uzla. How do I spend my time in i'tikaf is khilwa. How do I spend my time in isolation? Am I hanging out with my buddies? Am I playing video games? Am I looking at TikTok? Am I scrolling through Instagram? Or am I with Allah in worship?
So the Khilwa is inside the Uzla. I hope that answers your question. MashaAllah, 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 MashaAllah. Are there any other questions as we now reached our hour? Alhamdulillah, next week we will continue. And I like to keep it at an hour because there is a lot to take. <laughs> you know, his language is very deep and we're reading it word for word, Alhamdulillah, uh, as best we can. Thank you for that, MashaAllah, I appreciate that. The Swiss app is one of the best designed and just plain aesthetically pleasing apps I've seen. Make dua, we're still in a beta mode, so we have more things to come, inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. To you as well, alhamdulillah. And thank you, Ahsan, for the notes, alhamdulillah. And I actually post these on my podcast as well. So if you want to listen again and you're out on the road or whatever, uh, you can also listen to it there, inshallah. Jazakumallahu khayran. Wabarakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Please stay safe, inshallah, with all that's happening. And may Allah protect all of you, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.